Fantasy football is back, and you don't want your team to suck. My favorite fantasy football punishment I've ever heard is the last place guy had to spend 24 hours in a waffle house, and every <laughs> waffle he ate was one hour off of his count. I want numbers. How many did he end up eating? 12 waffles in 12 hours. <laughs> I'm Danny Heifetz. I'm Danny Kelly. And I'm Craig Horlbeck. We host the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. To avoid eating 12 waffles in a waffle house, follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what, what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. The Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook as well as the Ringer and the Ringer Podcast Network. This is part two of our big Sunday night podcast. If you missed part one, Joe House and I talked uh, a lot of golf and some NBA over-unders as well because the first wave we're out. We even have our first locks that we like for the season, although we're not going to really dive into that in October, but that was really fun. This podcast, Warren Sharp is going to join us and we are going to talk NFL for the next almost a hundred minutes. So that is all coming up. Let's bring back Pearl Jam. I'm so excited. Let's bring him back a second time. Here we go. All right, our guy Warren Sharp is here. You're going to be hearing him on the Ringer Podcast Waits. It's going to be three times a week this year, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, House, hold the book up. Yeah, this is Where's the, the book? book. I There's got it book. open. I won't tell you what team I the have. The Sharp Football right Book. Now. There's still time. 2021 Football too. Preview. I yeah. bought it to Hawaii. People thought I was a freaking weirdo <laughs> reading this book. Sharp, you need to make an old guy version of the book with like giant print for old people <laughs> like House true. and I. I I actually worked on that. People were complaining that the print was too small. I actually increased the font size by one um, for this edition, but I guess it's still not good no, enough. No, 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 no. It's not an I guess. It's just me. I'm we, <laughs> House and I are just fucking old. Yeah, like, so the, I can't see anymore. It's 450 pages in the version that we have, but it, we need it to be 550 Yeah, pages. we need the 900 page with the, with the letters that are <laughs> twice volumes. the size. Two volumes. Uh, it's going to be the size of a Merriam-Webster, if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> but before you came on, we were talking about how 
House was saying his hands smelled like smelled like crab because he was just eating crab for six hours. And then I unleashed my take of that uh, crab is the single most overrated food because it's just more work. It's too much work for not enough for a result. And this House House hates this take. We've been arguing about it since ridiculous. college. You're, it's like exactly what I would expect out of a mass hole. Sharpie, <laughs> show your hat. Show your heart hat to the good people. This is Jimmy's Seafood right out of the, yeah. the Baltimore area. They're going to send him a, a million crab well, here, Here's the backstory on that real quick. I got, I went on a Lamar's good rant after the 2018 season and then he goes and wins MVP and they loved it. And they sent me this huge bushel of crabs before the 2019 season. And then before the 2020 season, instead of shipping me the container, they actually drove to my house with like plates full of stuff in the back of a van and delivered it for like 20 people. And this That's is in the middle great. of the pandemic. So obviously yeah, I just had to give it to some neighbors and stuff uh, yeah. and eat a lot of it. But I, I disagree, Bill. I eat it slowly. I take my time. I'm definitely consuming ample amounts of alcohol. And it's really like a once a year thing for me. So I, I really enjoy it every chance I get. House, I think crab is the Daniel Jones of seafood. It has to be it has to be explained by the people who like it and they have to cut corners and try to <laughs> go glass half full or just admitting what a fucking pain in the ass it is. It's not it's it, it depends on what kind of person you are in life. Are you a patient well, person? Like, are you willing to work? I like having my food wonderful in your me. life. Uh, yeah, well, let's that, start. That says a lot about of, you. Speaking of the Baltimore area, the Washington area, the DMV, let's start with the Ravens because J.K. Dobbins is out for the year. We're bringing Sharp on. We want to do a little sleepers and grenades. This is something I used to do in my column back in the day, trying to figure out a true sleeper is a team that jumps at least four wins from the previous year. And a true grenade team is the team that drops at least four wins from the year before. Baltimore, as weird as it sounds, was one of the teams I was looking at as a possible grenade team. They went 11 and five last year. I, I'm, not, I'm not a giant fan of everything they did in the offseason. Dobbins, to me, was their only above-average skill guy, unless you want to count Mark Andrews, which he's a tight end, so I guess you can. Some people would say, no, no, Hollywood Brown is. I just haven't seen it. And now, to me, it looks like a team that has a really tough schedule, that they're in a, in a conference that I think is better than the NFC. They have a six, a seven-game stretch near the end here, week 12, Browns Sunday Night Football, at Steelers, at Browns, home Packers, easy one against the Bengals home Rams, home Steelers. And at that, and the two games before that are at Dolphins on a Thursday night at Bears. And I guess my first question for you, Sharp, could the Ravens be a grenade? Well, so did we relax officially the grenade uh, standing so that it can be three wins or less given there's an extra game? Right. So let's say so, three wins or less just for this year. So it would be... right. Eight, eight and nine. Wins. Eight and nine yeah. would make them a grenade. They could not they could not win more than eight games. And look, right. it, it is a possibility. Um, the thing that would have to happen for that to be true, in my opinion, is that Lamar Jackson misses time with either injury or COVID. And he's already missed two different spurts with COVID. One last year, one this past offseason. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he couldn't miss it again. Um, but clearly, I guess he's he, he's not 
Well, it could be like wait, just a contact thing, right? Like he could be near somebody and then all of a sudden he's out for another True. five five days. He has, which... to, he has to take a longer stretch than a vaccinated person would would take. Um, look, I look about a month or two ago, I was potentially I didn't want to play the Ravens win total over. I didn't want to play them to get to the postseason. What I was thinking of playing them is their maximum upside, potentially them to get to the Super Bowl. It was 14 to one. I wanted to at least 15 to one. And I've since, you know, cooled on that take. And it's not that I want to necessarily bet against them, but with the Lamar stuff coming out and we knew that they needed some wide receiver help. They obviously made that a priority. They go out and get Rashad Bateman. They acquire uh, Sammy Watkins. And it's like these guys that they've got at wide receiver are all banged up in camp. And then of course they lose the running back, JK Dobbins, as you mentioned, Dobbins was great one running out of the spread sets. Uh, Actually, if you, to get a back running out of like the heavier sets, the 22, the 21 personnel, Gus Edwards was actually better than Dobbins there. And so they may be but going wasn't, more. But wasn't some of this stuff coming out of the camp in July and August, like Dobbins, Dobbins, Dobbins breakout year. Like yeah, there's a lot of like, we're going to ride yes. this guy. And it just seems like he was going to be way more important for them this year than last year. He, he was, I mean, he obviously, was growing. Last year was a young year for him. This year, they were really going to try to carve out a role for him. But every single year, Baltimore's had to get a new running back to stand up. I went back and looked since I think it was 2014. The rushing yards leader every single season has been somebody different. They've never had the same <laughs> guy amazing. repeat. So they just churn through these guys. Uh, let me try to pull up the list here because I just uh, tweeted it out a little bit ago, but every single season, they're just going through other guys. So I don't know that J.K. Dobbins is necessarily the worst thing. Justin Forsett back in 2015, if you remember oh, him. These are Terrence, people that were on House's fantasy teams. <laughs> I'm sure. Terrence West in 2016. 2017 was Alex Collins. Gus Edwards was 2018. Mark Ingram, 2019. And 2020, obviously, was J.K. Dobbins. I think the defense is going to be better. I think the offense needs to improve if they're going to try to bang with a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. And that offense, to me, has not gotten much better. I think it's laughable to talk about this is the year that everybody's going to figure out Lamar Jackson. I thought that take was pretty terrible that I heard earlier this offseason. But bad. I agree with you that I am cooled on the Ravens. And if Lamar misses time, this absolutely could be a grenade team. But that's what would have to happen in my, poten- in my mind. Let's ask the guy who lost more money gambling on Lamar Jackson in the last two years than anyone else in America. Here he is, Mr. Joe House. Yeah, House so, have you finally cooled off on the Ravens? So look, it's it's very ironic that Sharpie was talking about looking at the Ravens at 14 to one and wanting to wait for them to get to 15 and one for the Super Bowl. I saw them at 13 to one six weeks ago. And of course I jumped on it immediately. Oh my God. But House. here's my, my question. And I, it was not a big amount of money. But here's my question for Sharp. For an organization that is so widely regarded as progressive and forward thinking as Baltimore is, and this is a theme I think we'll talk about throughout the the, the conversation with all of these teams as we try and prognosticate a little bit here. Quarterback redundancy is one of the phrases that you've introduced this year that I absolutely believe in. I think it's a, a very, especially in a season with 17 games and especially in a season with COVID. And the point with co- quarterback redundancy is having backups that can seamlessly enough come in, step in and not completely derail your team. 
the, so the like of, like Mitch Trubisky in Buffalo, you're saying Josh Allen comes out, Mitch Trubisky comes in as a poor man's Josh well, Allen. Let's, and let's keep it with with Baltimore. Sharp wrote in his book they have the worst quarterback backup situation in the NFL, according to the way that Sharpie thinks about it. Trace McSorley and 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 Tyler Huntley for an organization like Baltimore. And by the way, we just saw that Gardner Minshew was available. I know. Very available. Oh, my God. Now, could he have flourished in this Baltimore offense? Would he have been a nice backup to, to Lamar? So I'm with you on the souring. But my, my question is, what are they going to do about quarterback in Baltimore, Sharpie? Well, I think what they did, you know, Tyler Huntley, I believe, has moved up into the second place guy there. And Ooh, it is congrats. difficult if you're if you're pull- <laughs> exactly. But if you if you have an offense that's totally tailored tor- towards Lamar Jackson, there's two ways to look at it. Number one, if he goes down and he's out for most of the season, you're screwed anyways, right? Yep. But if he only needs to be replaced for a game or two, you want a guy that's going to do some of the things similar to Lamar Jackson. You don't really want a guy like a Gardner Minshew because he can't do, you know, your offense is geared towards the mobile quarterback that's going to hand the ball off a lot and, and not really throw as many passes. So I don't think Gardner Minshew fits in re- really well there. And there aren't a whole lot of quarterbacks that actually do. And so I think that, you know, that's what their issue is. They aren't uh, funneling a lot of money into the quarterback position. They've got Lamar Jackson. They're about to have to pay him, make a decision for the time being. What they are spending all their cap space on is all the other players around him. They want to make a big run this season and they aren't willing to uh, funnel it into the backup quarterback position. So it's Lamar or bust. That's what this major is. That's an old fantasy strategy, right? Like in the old days in our basketball league, if you took Shaq at center, like what do you even want to draft a backup center in the first eight rounds? Because if Shaq goes down, you're losing Except anyway. For that, it's, a, it's, it's a very different proposition in this current era with the NFL and the particular circumstances of this NFL season. An unprecedented yeah, that's a good NFL point. season. That's I don't all. think Minshew is the right guy. I think no. You know, I'm just making a joke. I mean, you I, know. ironically, watching uh, Pat's Giants today, I can't believe the Giants didn't get Minshew. I can't believe it. I mean, people who listen to this podcast know how I feel about Minshew. I would have been totally fine rolling with him and Mac Jones as my quarterbacks this year. I don't get the Minshew thing. And the fact that Jacksonville gave him away, I thought was really weird too. What do you, why are you giving away somebody who had 37 touchdowns at 11 picks the last two years on some pretty shit teams? I think he's going to go to Philly. I think he's going to win that job at some point. It'll be in the first eight weeks or so. Sharp, why, why give Minshew away? I didn't get that. I I thought the whole thing was totally stupid, utterly stupid by the Jacksonville Jaguars. You are taking away reps from Trevor Lawrence. I know that Urban Meyer is going to come in here. And, you know, I talked to people on various different teams. I know that Urban Meyer was all about, we're not going to hand anything to anybody, even the number one overall pick. You have to earn it. There's competition. So that's what this whole thing was. But let's be realistic. If the guy that is competing with the number one overall draft pick, one of the best quarterback prospects in years, is then worth trading for only a sixth round pick? What are you even doing here with what you think about this right. guy? And is he good enough to play with Trevor Lawrence? You're just trading him away for a sixth round pick. That's what w- everybody else thinks of him. And that's what you clearly think he's worth because you were willing to give him up for that. I totally agree. I think that th- the way that Minshew was handled last season, if you read the chapter in the book on the Jaguars, yep. it was an atrocity by jo- uh, by uh, by Jay Gruden. Gruden. In yeah. 
Jacksonville last year. He was terrible, totally a a nincompoop move uh, with what he was doing in terms of how he was handling that. So I agree. I think Gardner Minshew is better than what most people think Gardner Minshew is. I'm fully on board with your take, Bill, in in that regard. I think the Eagles got a steal getting him for a sixth round pick. And I just thought it was stupid for taking away reps from Trevor Lawrence. You need him to get ready. This is a long as hell season. You need him to be primed. You need to say, oh, well, actually, I've seen him in games. I've seen him in practices with the ones. This is what he's good at. This is what he struggles with. Let me try to introduce these other concepts. You know, also, Gardner Minshew is not the type of running quarterback that Trevor Lawrence is. You need to work on your QB runs down inside the red zone, inside the five-yard line, install all these different packages that you aren't going to have in there if Minshew's there. I just felt like they were wasting time, and then they dealt him for a sixth-rounder. By the the way, where was Indianapolis? That's another one. It's another great question. Indianapolis, if they don't figure out, you know, if Wentz doesn't come back, when they think he's, when they're hoping he comes back and they have the wrong QB for those first five games, they could, uh, they could completely blow their season house. Who do you have for your first grenade? Well, I'm glad you started with Indianapolis because I think that they're definitely in in the running. I mean, uh, the, the saints are kind of like a, a, a natural grenade and, um, you know, there's, there's all the factors that point to, uh, the, the, the limitations that they have. There are two, uh, uh, starting wide receivers right now are, are questionable. Uh, Thomas is out for, you know, a more indefinite time. And J- Jameis Winston, now, he looked pretty good this preseason. Francesca kind of <laughs> sold me on the Saints on Thursday. I, I Wait, go, like- go back to the Colts for a second. They were 11-5 and five last year. So for them to be an official grenade, they would have to go 8-9 and nine this year. They are even odds, basically, not to make the playoffs. And their over-under for wins is uh, eight and a half. They're plus 140 for the division. That first five games I mentioned, home yeah. Seahawks, home Rams, at Titans, at Dolphins, at Ravens on a Monday night. And Brutal. they might have, you know, Jacob Beeson as as the QB. Um, I think that is a definite grenade candidate, Sharp. What do you think? So let me let me go off on the Colts for a little bit. The one thing that I love about the Colts that's making me hesitant here is... Simply the fact that I think they've got one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL, Frank Reich. If you look at the different quarterbacks that he's worked with in consecutive seasons, what he's had to deal with, the the change that he's had to deal with, not, not the same quarterback at any one point in time. Even if you go back to 2017, where he flipped from between Carson Wentz um, and obviously Nick Foles and won the Super Bowl, then takes the job with the Colts. He's been a miracle worker, but he really is going to need to be a miracle worker with Carson Wentz in the current form that he was at. But let me just go through like some of the things that we know about the Colts. Number one, just breaking news that happened today, left tackle Sam Tevy is going to be out for the season. Now, Sam Tevy isn't a famous person, doesn't ring anybody's bells, but he was going to be their starting left tackle because Eric Fisher, the left tackle that they got from the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, is dealing with a recovery from an Achilles injury that he suffered late last season, and he wasn't going to be ready for the start of this year. Eric Fisher. So you're saying they're in the third string left tackle right now. They are now going to be on the backup QB. And it was supposed to be Anthony Costanzo. 
Well, Anthony, yeah, Anthony Costanzo retired. So they went and got Eric Fisher knowing he's not going to be ready. They also go out and acquire Santevi. You know what's going on with Eric Fisher? He's got COVID right now. That just was reported today. So that's going to delay his timeline even further. In addition, today comes out that T.Y. Hilton is dealing with disc-related issues in his neck that started flaring up just a few days ago, and he's going to miss an indeterminate amount of time. Obviously, their wide receiver won. Um, not like the best number one wide receiver in the NFL. It's not like it's a colossal loss for them, but it clearly hurts their depth, and it clearly hurts their upside. Um, House, House, were you glad the T.Y. Hilton injury happened before your fantasy drafts instead I, of in October? Because I really I, appreciated it, personally. I'm not, <laughs> I don't touch the Colts anymore. Okay. Jonathan Taylor, I might, I might bid on. I like Jonathan bit. Taylor. See Jonathan Taylor. All right, but, keep going, Sharp. Sorry. But you, you, you guys mentioned the Colts schedule. Okay, let's talk about that. They do play the number one toughest schedule, weeks one to five mm. in the NFL. But then from week six onward, it shifts to the number one easiest schedule. And if you look back at Frank Reich over his three years as head coach of the Colts, weeks one to five. They are seven wins and eight losses. That's 47% win percentage. Week six onward, they are 21 wins and only 12 losses. That's 64%. So he's a slow starting coach to begin with. The team has the number one most brutal schedule early. I would not be shocked if they absolutely, with their injury situation, start out slow. Now, where's Carson Wentz in this whole thing? Because the biggest factor here, if you <laughs> want to lose... How about, he's stinking is where he's at. <laughs> he, he he's admitting a foul odor. Yeah. I mean, uh, seriously, I would feel better if Frank Reich was playing quarterback. If you could get Frank Reich out there and he could coach and play Carson quarterback, then I'm back on the He's Colts. like Daniel Jones. It's over. It's not happening for either of those guys. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sharp. So I think, I think, look, Carson Wentz, if you look back at last year, before I segue into what I've heard about him in camp this year is last season, you, you want to try to evaluate a quarterback when it's easy to pass the football. What are some opportun opportune times to pass the football? First down. How about first down without pressure? He was yeah. terrible in both of those situations. Sharp loves first down passing. He could not pass the ball at all. A lick with play action. The Eagles had to abandon play action because he was so abysmal at passing with play action. His line was bad. <laughs> Sounds so like a great to, quality. <laughs> it, it was a terrible quality. His line was bad because of all these injuries. Now, to his credit, like it's not his fault. Their offensive line, I had as projected one of the top five offensive lines in June of last offseason. Not a single one of those players practiced or, or played in a game together. Those guys were injured. That line did not play any games, and they were the number one most injured offensive line. But as a result of injuries to the line, Carson was throwing on the move a lot. How was he when he was passing on the move? Abysmal. He was terrible passing on the move. So this you know was a what? bad you know, situation. I noticed that every time he passed on the move last year, he was abysmal. <laughs> he and he used to be good. He used to be good at passing on the move. He used to be good on third downs, using play action on first downs, like a lot of different situations. Carson Wentz was good. And if you remember the 2019 season when all of his wide receivers got injured, just like they did last year, but yeah. he was making he was making uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit, quite frankly, with that yeah. receiving core, and he was still being productive. Well, last you can't year, dine that on that for case. five years. Yeah, exactly. And so, look, I think that this team 
the the reports I've heard about Parson in camp before his foot injury and and su- subsequent surgery was he was looking surprisingly good. There was a lot of good feedback inside a Colts camp that he was actually looking much better and Frank knew what to do with him and all of that. Here's how I'm playing the Colts. Do, do, I, but Sharp, do you believe <laughs> feedback like that? Like, what are they going to say? It's like, my oh favorite man, thing is, are they going to say Carson Wentz looks terrible? It it's, was surprisingly good because it was a surprise that he looked good. Everybody's surprised. <laughs> Holy shit. He looks like, like he can throw he the looked, ball. So, he looks so good when we, when we didn't have pads and we could just run scripted <laughs> plays. He was so good. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, look, some of the guys that are on different teams, when I'm talking to different people, they are more optimistic than they should be because they're so close to the situation and it's their squad that they're going yeah. to be a little bit more exuberant and it's difficult to separate themselves and judge things fairly. But um, at least we weren't hearing, well, he's struggling a little bit. At least we weren't hearing, well, mm. yeah, I'm not so sure about that trade that we made because he's really not looking good. Like they were raving, but of course, then he got hurt and has missed a while. So the next couple of weeks are going to be interesting. I want really very little to do with the Colts to start the season. They were a team when the win total was 10 back three weeks ago, under was absolutely the play. Now everybody's gotten off that bandwagon. I remember on our group text chain, as soon as we heard Wentz was down and then they lost their left guard, it was like, okay, are we, are, is our Titans to play? And I said, uh, I mean, the Titans are fine, but I'm down on the Titans too this year. I think this division, the AFC South is going to be kind of a disaster this season. Yes. Um, but that being said, I can't argue the Colts were a team that were on my grenade list as well. So I, I have so nothing... they after that first five, they still have at 49ers week seven night game. They have a Thursday night Jets game, which just sound, sounds like something goofy will happen in that one. They're at Bills home for the Bucks week 11, week 12, home for the Pats week 15 and at cards on a Saturday night week 16. So there's some losses in there. Yeah, I, w- I want to. Well, there are losses. I want to be betting on this team once everybody gets starts hating them after this first yeah. brutal. Yeah, so you want to wait? You're going to lay low. Okay, I'm going to lay low in the weeds. Then I'm going to come out and bet them as they're an underdog and undervalued when Frank Reich typically turns things on. But from a win total perspective, nah, I, I, I'm on the sidelines for them. House breaking news: Andrew Luck just retired again. He he just looked at what was happening <laughs> in the Colts. He he reannounced his retirement. It's happening. I, I think he's happy. Sharp, who do you... Oh, let's... Actually, we'll take a break. We'll come back with Sharp's first grenade. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. 
have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, Sharp, who do you have? First grenade for you. Well, House already mentioned it. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out. I know Jameis looked brilliant against the fucking Jacksonville Jaguars defense, <laughs> one of the worst teams in the NFL. Um, and keep in mind, those passes he threw, they were great passes, no doubt about it. But like, we're passes. talking about some ridiculous catches that Callaway had to make to bring those in. So let's let's put that off to the side. But for me, I'm going to go with the Saints. I don't dislike the Colts. They were on my list as well. But for the Saints, here's my big issue with the Saints. No matter how we end up slicing it, I know Jameis looked looked pretty good, but I believe that the Saints are going to inevitably end up running the football a little bit more because Drew Brees isn't there and there's a little bit less trust in the quarterback situation without Drew Brees. And when that happens, what is going to be the result is it's going to be difficult to maintain efficiency on early downs when you're passing less often. Inevitably, you're going to be facing more third down attempts and those third down attempts on average are going to be longer yards to go than they were last season. And as a result, your offense overall is going to be worse. It's going to be faced with these more third down attempts with longer yards to go, which are obvious passing situations, which then the defense can pin their ears back. You're going to get sacked more often and you're going to turn the ball more often, throw interceptions or sack fumbles. And this is a recipe for disaster for a team like the Saints that was just so good with Drew Brees at playing on schedule, eliminating turnovers, staying ahead of the sticks, and efficiently moving the football down the field. I simply think that you're going to have Jameis and a little sprinkle of Taysom. And I just I just don't like the involvement of Taysom. I don't think this is anywhere close to the situation you may have in San Francisco where it's the Jimmy Garoppolo show early in the season, but we'll insert a little bit of Trey Lance, which has some really high upside plays and he can actually throw the football down the field. This is like a totally different version of that. Taysom is bad. Okay, he, yeah, but Sharp, truly is Sharp, bad. Taysom's, Taysom's a young QB like Trey Lance. No, no. Taysom is a great. Oh, wait, he's 30 years old? Yeah. <laughs> My bad. I just got information. He's, I didn't realize. Uh, I didn't realize he was 30. He is old. And uh, look, I mean, God bless him. You know, he's 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 a, probably a really nice guy. But the reality is he is not a quarterback in the modern era of football. He's fine for like goal line runs, short yardage runs. Yep. You kind of are very predictable like when Cam you bring Newton. him on the field. A little bit like Cam Newton, yeah. <laughs> a lot but, like but Cam Newton. Much worse as a passer, in my opinion. I know you're big on uh, big on Mac and down on. Wait, have you seen Cam Newton? <laughs> I I have seen Cam. I'm a huge Mac Jones fan. We could talk about Mac uh, in a second. Uh, he, come on, I, I'm gonna have a cigarette before we do that. I'm gonna break out an old pack of cigarettes <laughs> before we talk Mac Jones. I'm just I'm so giddy about Mac Jones. I can't even talk about it. So here was the case for Francesa made on Thursday on the Saints for them actually going over. That Breeze really held them back last year because Breeze was just bad like he couldn't throw deep passes and if you if you're banking on this this Marquez Callaway who everybody is you know having a circle jerk about as like the sleeper fantasy receiver of all time this year just becoming Michael Thomas and then you can somehow write the Michael Thomas ship at some point during the season and Jameis has the ability to fling the ball around you got Sean Payton and the whole thing like you don't think they could still go 10 and 7 well, look, I, I think I think here's the issue with Jameis, okay? Let's take it back to your team, the Patriots. 
How did, I know it's a slightly different situation, not a perfect parallel, but Tom Brady without Rob Gronkowski in 2019 and with shit receivers in 2019 looked terrible, right? Like, let's be honest. He did not look good whatsoever. Then he goes down to Bruce Arians offense in Tampa Bay and he's got Mike Evans and he's got Chris Godwin. Of course, Gronkowski comes back, but he's got a lot of good wide receivers that are in Tampa and he looks like a million bucks. Well, guess where Jameis looked like a million bucks in the offense that all of a sudden mm. Tom Brady looked good. Now, what is Jameis going to in New Orleans? I love Sean Payton. And let, and if the Saints make the postseason and potentially make a run, he's coach of the year, in my opinion. You've got to maybe get a little bit down on a future for Sean Payton coach of the year as an outside shot if the Saints end up doing something really well. But from a grenade perspective, Jameis now going here. Callaway seems to be a stud, but he's completely unproven. Who the hell knows when Michael Thomas is going to come back? And the rest of that receiving core is one of the worst in the NFL. They just lost their tight end, Troutman, for a little while. Like, I think this receiving core is very bad. Clearly, in my opinion, their number one receiver is going to be their running back, Alvin Kamara. He's going to catch the most passes there. That's far from an ideal situation to game plan and offense around. We're talking about Jameis like pushing the ball down the field and like giving more of an arm strength, but I think the guy who's catching the most passes is close to the line of scrimmage in Alvin Kamara. So I don't disagree that he's going to be able to do some things that Drew Brees couldn't do, but I'm also not convinced that all of a sudden the smart decisions are going to be there. All the negative decisions are going to be gone. He's not going to turn the ball over. He's not going to take bad sacks. He's not going to fumble the ball. So I, I think there's a lot of potential for the Saints to go under their win total, which is nine, and the grenade, they won 12 last year. Their win total right now um, is nine. Mm. So basically, we're already, the odds makers are predicting a grenade out of the Saints, and I took under nine myself. So I, I think there's a good potential. This team is eight eight wins, nine losses uh, this season. Has playoffs to make it, they're minus 110. No playoffs, plus 134. The nine number is even, even money. All that to do is go nine and eight and you lose nothing. You don't even lose a vig. Did Sharp convince you or are you going with the, uh, with the old sage Francesa and his whole case about if the tight end doesn't drop the pass in that Bucks game, the Saints are actually in the Super Bowl and that's a borderline Super Bowl team last year with a quarterback who can actually throw deep now. I, I think Francesa's right about the potential outcome for the Saints last season, but that was last fucking season. The quarterback this season is Jameis Winston. It's not, you know, Drew Brees who can game manage them around and game manage them into, you know, tw 12 wins uh, last season. I already bet uh, they're, they're under. You did? Okay. All right. Yeah. So to wrap up the grenades, Sharp has the Saints over under nine. House has the Colts over under eight and a half. I'm leaning toward the Ravens and they're over under, what was it, 11? No, no, do, do the Steelers. There's well, so my, my three, I think it's going to be between the Ravens, the Steelers, and uh, I, I think the Colts are getting there, but Ravens, Steelers, I think one of those two is going to drop. I don't think we're getting three playoff teams. I got to say with the Steelers, I was ready to have them. That was going to be my pick. And I did some, I did some recon. As you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm not opposed to going on the uh, blogs and message boards for every single team <laughs> to try to see what's going on. They might have nailed their draft. It's not just that. I know their offensive line is shaky as all fucking hell. And I know what we saw from Roethlisberger last year, although it does seem like they're going to make it easier for them. But the tight end that they got, and then Najee Harris too, it really seems like they have two 
guys who are going to come in and be like impact dudes. Sharp, what have you heard about the tight end? Oh, Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, yeah, Pat Fryermuth. Um, he looks great in the preseason, right? Like they need a receiving tight end. Ben always, years ago, Ben made a comment that like, I try not to forget things that are of this nature. He said, I like tall receivers in the red zone. And mm. Fryermuth is the type of guy who can, be a target for Ben down inside the red zone. So it doesn't surprise me that he's going to lean on him um, for some touchdown upside. One of the reasons they went after Chase Claypool as well. But right. I'll just tell you, Bill, like I I like Najee Harris as a player and maybe a team should have taken him in the first round because he has that upside. Although I personally disagree that you need to value a running back in the first round. I also yep. disagree with the fact that their offensive line was sufficient enough that they could afford to draft a running back. It's the opportunity cost there. And Agreed. I also will say that preseason stats are relatively meaningless, although get ready for me to like share some stuff on your boy, Mac Jones. However, look at the Steelers leading rushers this preseason behind this line. Again, take, take it with a grain of salt. The leading rusher in terms of attempts was Jalen Samuels. He averaged 2.9 yards per carry on 39, 31 rushes. Anthony McFarlane was their number two leading rusher. He averaged 3.0. Najee Harris was the number three. He averaged 3.2. And Kalen Balaj was number four. He averaged 4.1. Well, Kalen Balaj still in the league. On their average, even average, what the NFL uh, average yards per carry are. I do think the Steelers, like I would have liked to bet against them. There's a lot of things that are going to regress. For a grenade, I could see it. For a win total, however, the problem for me was the win total has already been taken into account. The fact that they're going to step back. They won 12 games last year. It's down to eight and a half. The odds makers, you know, credit where credit is due. They did a great job of removing all opportunity to bet this team under because I don't see a whole lot of value in betting them under eight and a half. I really don't see that ridiculously low of a floor that this team's winning four or five games. I think even in a bad year, what is the worst? Six? Probably well, more likely seven or eight games for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So um, I just think there's no value in the win total. But certainly from a grenade perspective, no more than nine wins for the Steelers, I think is certainly uh, a potential. Brutal schedule two house at Buffalo week one, which is a loss. That are 0 and 1. Then I already week, haven't been a five team parlay. Week four, week five, week six at Packers, home Denver, home Seahawks on a night game. And then they finish the year home Ravens at Vikings on a Thursday Titans home, uh, home for the Titans at chiefs home Browns at Ravens. Here's why I haven't, I'm going to wait another week before I decide Ravens Steelers. Here's what scares me about the Steelers. Cause I, I get the offensive line stuff last year. They had the worst runs per attempt. I think of any half decent to good team. They have so many weapons now. If Fryermuth is good right away, and we know Najee Harris is going to be a hundred times better than James Conner. I love all the stuff I've read about him. Like he's definitely one of those, if you've read any of the pieces about him, he's one of those, they actually have to tell him to leave the facility at night, guys. It's like, hey, we're turning off the lights. You have to go. Like he's one of those guys. And then their receivers with Claypool and Schuster and Deontay Johnson. They just have a shitload of weapons. I think if Roethlisberger, unless he completely sucks, now, that's a team that should have gotten Minshew, by the way. But House, 
Why am I afraid of the Steelers? Why am I afraid of all these weapons? Plus all the guys on the defense they have. Your brain is wrapped around a version of Roethlisberger that no longer exists. He Mm. is in the bottom. He's one of the worst uh, uh, quarterbacks in the league at deep passing. 31st in, this is for straight out of the the Sharpie uh, Bible here. 31st in completion percentage and 28th in passer rating last season on, on deep passes. Those weapons exist. They're, they're good weapons. Ben Roethlisberger is 39 years old and looks and plays like he's 39 years old, and their backup quarterbacks stink. They have no quarterback redundancy, and they have a 39-year-old guy who everybody has a version of Ben Roethlisberger that we've, we know and have seen that doesn't exist any longer. So that's, that's the reason for the fade from my perspective. Sharp, if they, if they traded a fifth for Gardner Minshew today, would you feel better about them? <laughs> um, look, not really, because I think that Ben may be able to stay healthy um, because of how quickly he's getting rid of the ball. He, no quarterback in the league threw it quicker than Ben and no quarterback in the league threw it closer to the line of scrimmage. The upside here is that Matt Canada, the new offensive coordinator, who was the quarterback's coach last year, but was, wasn't able to infuse all of his ideas and strategies because you had another guy calling the plays and actually running the offense last year and Randy Fichtner, who I didn't really care for. Um, Canada loves some of the things that Ben didn't necessarily do. A lot of play action, a lot of pre-snap motion. If they do these things and Ben actually says, fine, I know I'm old in this league, but I'll try it so that we can try to win games. He came back, took less money, et cetera, et cetera then there could be some upside. My big concern isn't necessarily the offense. You are right, Bill. They do have some very good skill position players, and I think their running back talent with Najee is is certainly acceptable. The issue for me is this strength of schedule in their defense. I think they've got probably the number one or number two best front seven, and they went out and they acquired another player a couple of weeks ago. This is a very good front seven. The problem is they are now playing the number two most difficult schedule of pass offenses in the league Mm. this season. They were playing basically a bottom five schedule of pass offenses last year with the NFC East and the AFC South in the mix last season. I think this secondary is going to be challenged. And what happens is let's pretend the Steelers get a lead and they're playing pretty well. Defense uh, opposing offenses are going to have to pass the ball. Boom, you're passing against the weakness of the Steelers, which is that secondary. So you can't allow your QB to get sacked in those instances. But if you can stand up to the Steelers' pass rush, I think that secondary of the Steelers is going to be much worse this year than it was last season. And Sharp, it's even worse than that because according to my diligent research, they're very worried about the linebackers until Devin Bush is 100%, just being able to cover people out of the backfield and tight ends and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there'll be some some pressure. It's going to be an interesting one. I I could The Steelers, to me, are the, are the all-time... I could see them going 5-12, and 12, and I could see them going... Like, they have the widest variance to me. The Ravens is more of just like... I hate when seasons haven't even started yet and you've lost one of your best players. I always feel like there's a bad juju team where it's like, ooh, that's a bad sign to lose somebody who's probably one of our five or six best guys. Just quickly on the skill position guys in the Steelers, Najee Harris, Claypool, Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and let's say Fryermuth turns out to be really good. Not like Kyle Pitts good, but next level down. I don't think there's five teams that have skill position guys like that. Right? 
just for people that will actually get drafted in a fantasy league. All five of those guys I, are I, like I, legitimate I, top I would, half of the fantasy draft guys. Well, I don't know about fantasy, but real life football, I could hear you that they're top, uh, they're above average and maybe borderline top 10. But I mean, even a team that you wouldn't even consider necessarily to be great this year with like the Dallas Cowboys, their skill position guys are definitely better than the Steelers. Um, well, you know, especially that now that CD Lamb is the next Jerry Rice. When the fuck did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would I would even argue like the Minnesota Vikings potentially. All right, now have... settle down, Sharp. Come on. <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah. Plus, Irv Smith just got hurt. Yeah, Irv Smith, that, that, that is was a, he was another fantasy sleeper. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a word winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, let's let's move to sleepers. House, give it to us. You're the worst gambler I know. Give us your biggest sleeper. I can't I, wait I, to short it. <laughs> oh, well, then you're going to love this one. I took a long look. At... Don't say the Patriots, you motherfucker. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, Don't say the Patriots. Don't Bill, you do it. No. It's a new, it's a no. new It's a brand new team. It's an, no. it's an amazing turnaround for the New England Patriots. I looked at Washington. I oh, just mentioned Minnesota. I looked at He's Minnesota. He's such a dick, Sharp. I thought about the... the, the the Chargers, but look, I I sent this to to Sharpie. The whole point of this podcast was to give you twenty plus minutes to. I don't need twenty plus. I'll give you Patriots two. Patriots are gonna are gonna do the, this upcoming season, and uh, you know the the numbers bear it out. Like and 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 I didn't even need this Mac Jones Lord and Savior whatever the, the situation is going to be here. All I needed was Bill Belichick. The guys yeah. returning from the opt out last last season on on defense and the aggressive acquisitions at the skill positions on offense. That's and, enough for me. And I'm the front seven guy. guys, front yeah. seven guys. All right, so I'm they a were... simple guy. I just like a you know pat of butter up my ass and a lollipop <laughs> in my mouth, and we can move on with the New England Patriots. You're like Floyd Gondoli. That's uh, right. They were seven and nine last year. They are still plus one twenty five to make the playoffs, which honestly feels like stealing. Uh, Plus 360 for the division. I would stay away from that. 
17-1 for the conference. The over-under is nine. There's been a lot of action on the over-under. On, on FanDuel, it's been basically minus 140 for that. I like the way the season starts for them, where it's basically home Dolphins, at Jets, home Saints. You guys are telling me the Saints might stink, so that could be 3-0 coming out of the gate. But Sharp, the biggest thing here. Now, I, we should mention with Sharp. I just Can I be a dick for one second? Sharp and all the other guys with Kyle Shanahan, it's like, oh, Kyle Shanahan, oh, look at him rotate these QBs. These defensive coordinators are going to be shitting bricks, not knowing Jimmy G or Trey Lance. It's like nobody ever, nobody ever does the circle jerk for Belichick, who has six Super Bowls and who pounded Kyle Shanahan in a Super Bowl. Where's my tweet thread about how great Bill Belichick is, Warren Sharp? Jeez. Get Kyle Shanahan out of here. You, go, you, go tweet the tweet about the king. Hail the king, Bill Belichick. Where's that? Bill Belichick has gotten his accolades. I don't think he needs exactly. any more. I mean, Bill Be- like sure he does. Every, every everybody knows Bill Belichick is arguably the best coach in the history of Thank football. You. Thank so you. So I I will say that on record. And he's still alive. I don't dislike he's still Bill alive, Belichick. and his brain he's still, still works. He's got a lot to prove <laughs> this year, though. He clearly was flustered by what happened with Tampa and Tom Brady last year, and mm. he went out and spent unlike he has ever done before in free agency. Now, the one thing that I want to talk about with the Patriots, because you will have an appreciation this uh, bill with regard to their history is where he spent a ton of money and got guys during the legal tampering period that I thought should set off some alarms for the Patriots and their fan base. And that is at the tight end position, because this was a guy that at the height of their dynasty, they go out and they draft a tight end in the first round. I don't know if people remember this. Everybody's talking about how it's ridiculous that the Falcons drafted a tight end at where they did last year. And of course, Belichick wasn't picking at that spot in the draft. But in the first round, they drafted Daniel Graham at the height of their dynasty. Okay, later on, when they needed some help at the receiving position, when Daniel Graham just retired, they spent two picks, their first two picks, top of, I think top of the second and top of the fourth on tight ends in the same draft class, obviously, in Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And we saw this team try to figure out a way to replace Rob Gronkowski in the 2020 season after he after he retired. They were not able to do that in any Spent capacity. two picks, Sorry, too. A third and a they, fourth. They spent picks. They had tight end issues. They could not do anything, and the quarterback situation looked terrible. And so Belichick was like, and and remember, Belichick's tenants, you go back to like the mid-80s when he was writing down what he needs out of a tight end. He wants a guy who's going to catch the football. He doesn't need a guy who's going to get involved in blocking. That could be fine for a secondary tight end. His number one guy has got to be a guy who can catch the football. Johnny Smith, he can catch the football. Hunter Henry, he can catch the football. They go out and get both of these guys. I think the New England Patriots are obviously going to be back on track this year. I think even if they go with Cam Newton, which I think is a mistake, I want to rattle off a couple of statistics here for what Mac was doing this preseason. But even with Cam, I think when you have healthy tight ends, they're going to be fine enough. You've got uh, running backs that are going to be able to carry the load. I do have a question for you about a long shot, uh, most rushing touchdown prop bill in a second. But with regard to Mac, let me just list off what this young kid did as a rookie in his first preseason ever. Okay, here's are you drives. Are you including the game today or no? I'm going to include the game today. I'm going oh, to wow. go drive. Guess what? He was good today. He was great today. Drive by drive. First drive in his career, 
53 yards, field goal, then a punt, then 43 yards, field goal. Week two, 70 yards, touchdown, 75 yards, touchdown, 91 yards, touchdown. Three drives in week two, all three drives, 70 plus yards and touchdown. Today, 45 yards, field goal, one punt, 75 yards, touchdown, 50 yards, touchdown. We are talking about almost 10 drives, only two punts, every single other drive scored. Most of the drives are 50 plus yards and touchdowns were scored at the end of them. I know you can make all whatever excuses you want about backups playing on the defense and all this other crap. It is absolutely impressive. Well, he had backups too. He was working with backups in some of those games as well. And everything that I have heard out of the beat writers who are at least objective and open-minded and not trying to skew this thing from what I can tell them, people that I actually talked to have been more impressed with the way that Mac is able to get through his progressions, get the ball to who it needs to go with accuracy and on time. And that is big for a quarterback in this offense. I hope that they put him in there as soon as humanly possible, because that will absolutely raise the upside of the Patriots. You got all these guys coming back on the defensive side of the football, but here's the long shot I want to throw out there, Bill, for you. If it's Mac and it is not Cam and Mac starts the majority of the season, what do you think about Damian Harris most rushing touchdowns at over 35 to one. Is that a potential whatsoever? You're asking somebody who already bet on Damian Harris to win the rushing title at 80 to one. <laughs> so that's how I feel. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a great bet. I approve. I think the only thing that could hurt that bet is the is the rookie running back, Ramadre. Ramadre Stevenson, because he looks good. really good too. Like good enough that I actually think, you know, the way Belichick, like you saw it last year, he shut down Harris once it was clear that that team was heading nowhere. He didn't want to put the miles on him. Belichick's really good about not putting miles on running backs if he doesn't have to. That would be my only fear. But 35 to 1, I think Damon Harris, he was awesome last year. All I, the advanced stats were like, this guy was actually one of the best running backs in the league. If you actually look at like yards, yards after the first guy touched him and all these different things. House, the big thing for me with Mac Jones and you you kind of know when you when and it doesn't matter if it's not just football it's any any sport you kind of know when your team has a good one because you yep. re, you're reading the day-to-day -day stories and it's like the little stuff it's the stuff like like he lit up the giants last week and the other players talking about it where they're just like that guy's special and it was the same thing when the Celtics had Tatum when he was a rookie and and at some point you just read the feedback and the quotes and the other guys were like that guy's special so you have that, but there was this moment where the line got in a fight with somebody else's line last week and the, and the Pats, they got mad at the offensive line. There was a fight and they're like, you guys got to run. You got to run around the field. You got to do laps. And Mac Jones just joined them. He's like, I'm running them with you. These are my guys. That's the kind of shit. That's like, when you read that stuff, I remember Russell Wilson that first year in Seattle and that stuff was coming out and it was like, oh, this guy has it. There's something here. And I feel I, like we have it with Mac Jones. You know, you house can feel it. There you go. What a pisser. You guys, all you mass <laughs> holes, you fucking love this guy. He's right up your, uh, here's my question. And I don't want to derail this by too much, but take a look at the Baltimore roster and think about what you want from Baltimore in exchange for Cam Newton. Cause Ward just made a great point. When we were talking about Baltimore and their lack of quarterback redundancy and, they're all or nothing with Lamar. 
Cam Newton runs the football. He's got that uh, that ability. And I honestly don't think it um, is in New England's interest to have him sit on the sidelines. He's just the combination of just like the personality and and who he is. It's not that he'll detract from the, the season, but he's just it's not a good match. So I, I feel like Cam moving on could make sense. And maybe there's there's a, a team out there you could do a deal with. Anyway, well, it's uh, weird. Just, it was just weird that he thought. Yeah, it's a good thought. It was weird that they started him today. Um, it, Except listen, for it's respectful. I mean, it's the last season game. You're getting ready for the season. He's the, you know, the, the starter. The rookie's not going to be the starter. Here's the thing with Belichick, who's been in my life since 2000. And even before that, when he was our DC. Sharp, this is the most cutthroat person who's been in my life in any capacity. Sports, non-sports, family member. This dude, the Brady Bledsoe thing, everybody forgets like how cutthroat that was. Bledsoe just got hurt. He like he almost died. He had got this hit. He couldn't play because he was like in critical condition practically in the hospital, comes back. And Belichick's like, we're good. You don't get your started job back. He traded lawyer. He did he trade Laura Malloy or release him? I can't even remember. Right before that season when Laura Malloy went to Buffalo. Like he does cutthroat shit. If he feels like I have a good team. I need to do this. I'm just going to do it now. I don't see this Cam thing dragging into the season. Like, if he feels like Mac Jones is a starter, he's going to do it this week. If he thinks he wants to see Cam these first couple weeks and kind of ease Mac into it, that makes sense to me, I guess. But I just think start him now. Like, start him week one Dolphins. Let's see what we got. I think he's ready. What do you think, Sharp? I think he's proven that he knows how to protect himself. He did take a couple sacks tonight, which weren't ideal behind a backup offensive line. But um, I think he's shown he knows how to move the football, protect himself, work his way through the progressions. I think he's ready to start. Now, if you stick Cam out there week one against the Dolphins, that is probably not going to make Cam look very good. Um, And so that's only going to be more of a reason to play Mac. But I always said before I saw Mac play, once they drafted Mac, and I knew what Mac's skill set was. I knew what the Patriots liked to do with Tom Brady. That yep. I saw Mac starting no later than week five of this season because yep. you got the Saints brutal defense and you got the Bucks brutal defense weeks three and four. The Jets, that defense, they lost pass rushers. I know they just acquired somebody uh, today on Sunday, but Shaq they lost Lawson. pass rushers. Yeah, they lo- they got Shaq Lawson back. Uh, they they lost guys on their front seven. Their secondary is terrible. So whoever's the quarterback's gonna probably struggle week one against the Dolphins. Look pretty good against the Jets, and then there's two difficult defenses. So if it's Cam. I mean, that's a short march uh, for him those first four weeks. I can't see how he would survive that. And then it's max time. But to be honest with you, if the best opportunity to win those games, which you need to start winning games, especially if you're trying to find the sleeper element, but you need to win some games, Mac gives you the best chance to do that, in my opinion. And if he can protect himself and he's not going to develop any habits that are going to hurt his career, then you got to put him out there week one. I agree. I think... uh... I think they have a genuine chance to go 11 and 6, 12 and 5. And the longer you don't put the best quarterback in there, you're jeopardizing that. I also love those first seven weeks. You mentioned they have a couple of hard games against Saints Bucks, but they also play the Jets twice. They play at Houston, who's going to be a dumpster fire. And then Dallas week six, who I don't think is going to be particularly good on defense. 
All right. Patriots go, the Patriots go from playing the number eight most difficult schedule of opposing pass defenses last year to playing the number 27 most difficult schedule of opposing pass defenses this year. It is the third easiest change in schedule from last year to this year. Uh, it's definitely going to help whoever's a quarterback for that tenure, and I think it's probably going to be Mac. And we, we didn't hit even the twenty minute mark. That's enough. Yeah, that's enough. enough with the fucking Patriots. Let's we talk didn't even mention football team. The front seven is excellent. The Gilmore thing is the one X factor with this team. If he comes back at time, if he's healthy, they don't have a number one cornerback. And I think like you're gonna feel it against, you know, let's say that Callaway kid is good. Let's say Mike Evans in week four, uh, CD Lamb in week six. You're gonna feel the no Gilmore thing. But I think this is a lock. Pat's winning ten games. I'm in. That's my that's my lock of the podcast. Who do you have for your biggest non-Patriots sleeper, uh, Sharp? Well, you know, earlier when we were trying to figure out what qualifies, uh, we said anybody who has a losing record last year could qualify as a sleeper this year. And I threw out, what about the 49ers? Because they are forecast to win 10 and a half games. And yep. you said they would still qualify. Are you still holding that the 49ers would qualify as a sleeper or should I go with somebody else and make a case for them? Well, there's two kinds of sleepers, right? The 49ers were six and 10 last year and they're in a hard division. And we don't know how much their rookie quarterback is going to play. I think they qualify as a sleeper. I mean, the true sleeper is if you told me like, I think the Lions are going to win the NFC North. I don't feel like we have any team that's like the quote unquote true sleeper unless we're going to look at Denver and Atlanta. I was. Gonna I think throw, those are the two that qualify for like realistically teams that could jump and compete in a real way and potentially go ten and ten and seven, eleven and six. A couple of quick nuggets on Denver, and then I'll break down the 49ers. But Denver absolutely was my number two. If you said I can't choose the 49ers, but Teddy Bridgewater last year was in Carolina. They played the number one most difficult schedule of opposing pass defenses. This year, he's the starter. For the Denver Broncos, they play the number one easiest schedule of opposing pass defenses based on my projections from number one most difficult to number one easiest. The only thing that gives me consternation about the Denver Broncos is fucking Pat Shermer, who I think is a dolt of an offensive coordinator. <laughs> I think he calls far too many runs on first down. That's why they average 8.2 yards to go on second down. The worst in the NFL. No other team was worse than 7.9. Denver had the number three highest run rate on these second and long situations behind only the Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots, two teams that had running quarterbacks and tried to limit the amount of passing that their quarterbacks were doing. The Broncos did not have a running quarterback. They did not have a good run game. They averaged the longest yards to go on third down because those second down plays were so terrible. This offensive coordinator is a disaster. I didn't like him in New York. I don't like him in Denver. I also have concerns about their head coach, Vic Fangio, in terms of being too conservative. But if you're telling me, what do I think about the Broncos upside? They've got an incredibly good defense. They've got a very well, good Well, it looks like the, the rookie cornerback looks like a stud by all accounts. Everybody's Absolutely. like, this guy is a fucking capital S stud. And the thing is, like, I know that some people were like, well, if you were going to go and start Teddy Bridgewater, why didn't you just draft Justin Fields? And I hear you on that, but I also know this that Denver is basically playing right now to keep Vic Fangio's job. And the goal is to get Aaron Rodgers next season. 
So what That's, good is having Justin Fields in the draft this year when you can draft the number one corner, uh, get Aaron Rodgers away from Tom Brady over to the AFC? Yeah, I know Patrick Mahomes there, not anything easier, longer difficulty, but I think that that is an upside that Denver's going to look at after this year. But if Denver doesn't win this year, Vic is gone. They also might have just loved Sertan and just felt like, wow, we we have a chance to get like a Jalen Ramsey type cornerback in this spot and we'll worry about Aaron Rodgers a year from now. We hire, they knew that people like Bridgewater or whoever were going to be available as stop gaps. They obviously don't like Drew Luck and then <laughs> that gives them something to come with me at house. I also don't like Drew Luck. <laughs> so I think that was the right decision. And I, I wondered, Sharpie, as you were going through some of those numbers, how much you would attribute their inefficiency and their disinclination to throw the ball on first down to Drew Luck. Like they, they know they made a mistake with Luck they were disinclined to compound that mistake by putting the ball in his hands and entrusting him. That's just, you know, me. I, I get that. I get that perspective. But the reality is Locke is going to look worse when he's on third and long than he would be on first and 10 from a passing perspective. Defenses are pinning their ears back on third down. That is why I don't care who the quarterback is. Pass the ball on first down, not third and long. And if you run the ball and your run offense sucks, which theirs did last year, you're only setting yourself up and delaying the inevitable. We've seen teams really improve their offensive efficiency with the same exact quarterback by shifting to a heavier pass rate on early downs. That's exactly what Denver needed to do. This is a flaw with Shermer. It's 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 a it's a feature, not a bug. This is what this guy does. And I just hope that Teddy's going to be able to maybe showcase himself a little bit better and they will ease away from that a little bit. Perhaps the inefficiency it brought last year will make them change their mind. Uh, but I like, uh, of- I like Judy, I, Judy. I have yeah. asterisk all over the place as like making a, uh, making a leap guy, KJ Hamler, who I thought was good near the end of the season. Um, He's, he's kind of one of those like borderline electric, those receivers, those guys, those little shifty guys that I always wish the Patriots would have. Uh, I'm not positive. Of, I love their running backs, but I, here's what I do love, guys. Their first three games, and when you talk about sleepers, the schedule always has to play a big part of it, right? And this is something when I used to write my columns on ESPN, I always used to look for the teams, try to figure out who can start 3-0, who can start 4-0, because sometimes... When you start well during a season, you get so much momentum and confidence from that. And the NFL is so flimsy as it is, right? The rosters change so much that you just get a little momentum and a little confidence that can flip. First of all, they play the NFC East this year, which is great for them. But their first three weeks at the Giants, Daniel Jones, at the Jaguars, who, you know, went from, oh, maybe they could steal the AFC South to, wow, that team sucks. They can't block. And then they're home for the Jets week three. And then week four Ravens, if the Ravens, you know, are, are potentially not nearly as good as we thought. But I think they could go 3-0 and coming out of the gate. And Sharp, but all your research and all your instincts with this stuff, how important, I sound like a sideline reporter, how important is a good early start? <laughs> but I really do feel like it is important if we're trying to figure out these, uh, these sleepers. If they start 3-0, and would that change your thinking here? Well, I, yeah, it would, it would, I already like them. And so I've already bet their win total over. Me too. Um, I think this is a team I did not bet them to make the playoffs, however, because the AFC is loaded. And I think there's a chance nine, 10 wins. They don't make the playoffs, but so that's I plus one, team, that's plus 155. If I told you they're yes. going to start three, and zero, would you bet them to make the playoffs? 
Um, well, they're favored in, in going to be favored in these games. So, um, I don't necessarily think that that changes my mindset at that point in time that they'll make the playoffs. I, we need them to win at least two of these games. Three of them is what I'm hoping for, but that's not going to make me think that they automatically are going to make it to the playoffs. Here's two things that you, uh, points to tag on to what you said. You don't necessarily love their running backs. You know what's really weird about what they did this preseason? The last two games, they did not play Javante Williams at all. The draft pick that the running back they got, pick number 35 overall, they apparently absolutely love Javante Williams and might be carving out a pretty nice role for Ooh, him. House. I think him exceeding his rushing yards is a nice prop bet that I think holds some water. The other thing that house is, is right no, that down. The other thing that is Javante is with the J house. Javante is with the J. And the other thing that's interesting is I mentioned, you know, how Teddy is now going to face the number one easiest schedule of pass defenses. But, you know, last year, this team and you just mentioned it, Bill, which is what it brought to my mind. They played the number one most difficult schedule of pass offenses last year. This year, Vic Fangio's defense plays the number 25 most difficult schedule of pass offenses. Mm. You mentioned the NFC East. They also get the AFC North. If we think Ben is not what he has been, you've also got Baker. We don't know yet about Joe Burrow and Lamar there. And then the non-division games that they've got, they've got the Jets, the Jags, and the Lions. We're talking about a ton of teams that drafted inside the top 10 that this Broncos team is going to be going up against this season. A lot of these teams have new quarterbacks this year, some inexperienced quarterbacks this year. When you talk about the Jets, Jags, and the Lions with Jared Goff there now, I just think there, there will be opportunities for this defense to really make Teddy not have to do too much. And Teddy, you, you mentioned Hamler like down the field. I don't know how much of that we're going to see. I I think Teddy is like more of a ball control, efficient quarterback. Hopefully you don't turn the ball over too much. Don't get your offense off schedule. We don't necessarily need these huge big plays. We just need you to get Well, Hamler's team. good for that. He's good for the short stuff. Yes, I agree. I agree. Tell I House, think this team is tell house what happens in week 18 for Denver too, if we're thinking yeah, about the so win total the of eight and a half. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, this is the other reason why I like them is there is an a better than zero, a non-zero chance that they will be playing the Kansas City Chiefs week 18 where Kansas City has zero to earn with that win. Kansas City is not playing all of their starters. It's the last game of the season. They're going to go into the postseason. They might want to rest their guys for a couple of weeks if they've already earned that buy. So you're talking about a couple team, you're talking about that game where you might just be able to walk, get a cakewalk as long as you don't fuck it up a little bit and then look at weeks 14, 15, and I'm, I don't know, even 16, potentially you've got the lions, the Bengals and the, uh, for, uh, and the Raiders, those three teams might be vying for the number one overall pick or draft position by the time we're talking about week 14 and week 15, et cetera. So uh, I definitely think that there's upside in playing those teams so late in the season where their focus might be elsewhere. House, what would you what odds would I have to give you to bet on John Gruden when we get to that week 16 Raiders Broncos game being in serious trouble with the Raiders? Ooh. Uh, Let's say, does John Gruden make it to week 16? I'll give you 12 to one. Would you take it? Oh yeah, I would definitely take that. Are you kidding me? Would yes, you take absolutely. eight to one? Yes, I would definitely take that. Yes. Absolutely. Really? Would, would you take, take six that, yeah. to one? Now we're starting. Uh, uh, so you'd go you, long you shot, but attention. not too long shot. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I think because I ten, I'm with, ten I'm, years. I'm with Sharp. I think the Raiders are going to be bad. They just haven't. 
he's just not good at being a GM, unfortunately, or the player picker. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad for you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen. Talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries, maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp, a convenient and flexible way since it's entirely online right now. It's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. Can you make a two-minute case for Atlanta Sharp? Just like, so I'll start it. So the Saints would have to be worse. Um, Kyle Pitts would have to be awesome. There's some Ewing theory with Julio. The Arthur Smith coming in might be worth two wins. What also, and and then the uh, the luck from last year, which we've covered on this podcast, but they had the worst luck in the league last year in close games and stuff like that. Anything else I'm missing for the Falcons case? Well, uh, the the other Falcons case, and and I know you're trying to derail me from not being able to talk about Kyle Shanahan a little <laughs> no, bit. No, we're going to do it now. We're, uh, uh, you're going to get your Kyle Shanahan. What That's, I will say we're is we're closing with Kyle Shanahan. The de- the defense for the Falcons, they played the number one most difficult schedule of offenses last year. That's down to number 22. And now you've got Dean Pease in there who might bring a lot more upside than what the Falcons saw last year with that defensive coaching staff, which was just all over the map and really terrible. A lot of pressure and pressure tends to create turnovers or big plays. So if variance goes their way and they're able to get some of this pressure and get some takeaways here, that will help this defense a lot. Obviously, you mentioned Arthur Smith. I think um, the interesting note with Arthur Smith is how efficient his offenses were down inside of the red zone in Tennessee. The best offense in the NFL. If you look at, this is a crazy stat. I just have it memorized, but Points per minute, a really interesting metric that nobody talks about. Maybe that's a basketball metric. The hoops one. Uh, that's right. But, but but in football, looking at points per minute of possession, since they acquired uh, Ryan Tannehill, since they started Ryan Tannehill the first six weeks of 2019, where Marcus Mariota then comes in Ryan Tannehill. Okay, the number one team in the NFL with the best offense was Patrick Mahomes and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs at 0.7 points per minute. And the NFL average is like 0.55 points per minute. When Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback from week seven of 2019 onward, the Titans were not uh, just above average. They weren't just number one in the NFL at 0.7. They were 
0.99 points per minute of possession of the football. This offense was extremely efficient inside the red zone. Last year, the Falcons were number 20. What was the biggest gripe? I don't know if any of you guys rostered Julio. I don't play fantasy. I've focused everything I, I do did. on betting I now. enjoy it. You, you roster Julio the last several years. Sucked. You're not getting touchdowns down inside the red zone. This team has no clue what to do inside the red zone. Now you got Arthur Smith, and maybe he's going to walk away with more sevens than threes inside the red zone. Yep, that's yeah, pretty compelling. That, also, Matt Ryan liked to throw... Touch, uh, interceptions in the red zone. That's well, what so I remember. Matt Ryan has heard all of our feelings from a gambling standpoint, so we don't need to uh, talk about that. But they play the NFC East. They only have seven home games because the league did the thing where they counted um, the London game as the home game, which is just... So somehow we have a 17-game schedule and they only have seven home games. I, I can't figure that out. But um, for if we're going by the start off strong because you have an easy schedule thing, they do play the at Tampa in week two, but they go Eagles home at Tampa at Giants home Washington and then the Jets in London and then a bye week. It's conceivable they could be four and one coming out of that. I think houses make it, it a face. It's tough. Oh, I'll, I tell like you, I'll tell you two, week because Washington's week. in there. Week two and three, okay, they are at a rest disadvantage in both of those games. They are at a three-day rest disadvantage in terms of rest and prep. Rest, not as big of a deal early in the season. Prep, absolutely still a factor. So week two, they're at a rest disadvantage against the Bucks. Week three, they're at a rest disadvantage against the Giants. Then you've got the London game. The Giants defense isn't half bad. The Washington defense is obviously good. The Bucks defense is good. You got three difficult defenses there in a three-game stretch, weeks two through four, plus this London game. I hate having an early buy. I would have rather done what the Dolphins did and just play after you travel um, and then yeah. take your buy later in the season. So I, I don't necessarily love that from the Falcons standpoint. But um, so I would bet, a, obviously, you know, it's not saying much. I would bet against four and one. Uh, I, I think they will emerge with a losing record after those first five games entering. Wow. Um, I'm going yeah, at least I, three and two. They're over under a seven and a half. There's been a lot of action on that. Playoffs, they're two to one. I already bet on the over for the Falcons was the first bet I made. All right. Before we go, I'm going to let you, House talk about the Washington professional football team for three minutes and then Sharp is going to close by having a Kyle Shanagasm. Um, <laughs> it's going to end it with the Shanagasm. Turn the cameras off for that. Though, yeah. <laughs> uh, Washington, over under eight and a half house. Division, so, plus yeah. 260. Yeah. Wait, it's up. Oh, no, I have that wrong. No, no, What's no. The division? It was in the That's... ones. It's like 150 or something. It was yeah. like 145. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Right. I have not. 260, I would have already, you know, the mortgage payment would have been uh, a full 60 days late because I would have put the whole thing on that. <laughs> um, I, I love this Washington football team. I think they are uh, exactly like a 9-8 and eight team, and that will be enough for them to compete with Dallas. The single best thing about the Washington football team this uh, offseason is that they haven't been on hard knocks, and I've been able to watch this, the Dallas Cowboys that what an absolute marathon! It is my single favorite thing as a Washington <laughs> football fan to watch the Dallas Cowboys on on Hard Knocks, my, the alleged rivals of the NFC East, and watch them dump all over each other. And and you know, we'll, we'll talk about a, a team culture that, that makes me feel good as a Washington fan. So that's it. I just used my three minutes. Fitz Magic rules. I like very much. The depth at quarterback. I do believe in in Heineke. I do believe in Kyle Allen. They're competent, right? They're not going to throw up all over each other. 
Fitzmagic, it, you know, is going to be Fitzmagic, yeah, but it, it's still a market improvement over what Washington has had at the quarterback position the last three seasons. So that's it. Sharp, I don't remember if this was in your book or not, but Washington's quarterbacks last year were were not good. <laughs> they, yeah, no, they, look, they, historically they, Dwayne, bad. Dwayne Haskins, um, Alex Smith with 40 pins in his leg, terrified. They have to, has to get through, rid of the ball in one second. And <laughs> I, I mean, you can't do worse at the court. The Haskins not thing just- was unbelievable how bad he was. And then he's like partying in the strip club without his mask and doing right. all these. Look, Haskins starts the first four games. Then they go to Kyle Allen and Alex Smith week five. Week six, seven, and nine is Kyle Allen. Then you mix Alex Smith in weeks 10 through 14. Then you go back to Haskins after Smith gets hurt. Haskins is there for three weeks. Smith is back for week 17. Week 18 is Heineke. This offensive coordinator in terms of Scott Turner just had to try to figure out how to optimize the offense, whatever he could, to all these different guys that were getting thrown at him. I think he did an admirable job given what he was dealing with. I think we're going to see a team that has a lot more upside from a play-calling perspective. It can do a lot more with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. I think this offense absolutely improves. I think Diami Brown, who may not get on the field quite as often, uh, is going to be an absolute stud there when he does stud. get a chance to get on the field. But my concern is actually on the defensive side of the football. It's it's not a concern. It's just like, where could problems rise arise from? Defensively, this team got its seven wins against some pretty crappy quarterbacks. I think you probably know this house, but they did not. They only beat one team that had a winning record last year, and that was Ben Roethlisberger on that weekday night. Other than that, the only teams they beat were bad teams with terrible offenses and backup quarterbacks like Nate Sudfeld and Nick Mullins and Andy Dalton twice and Carson Wentz, who then got you know benched, and Joe Burrow, who got injured during that game. So this defense is probably not as good as what we saw last year. I like their talent. They're just, it's unlikely they produce the same type of defensive results. Um, I, but I do think the offense can carry them. I got a little bit. I think of you heard Washington house. Football house team. Looks, no, house no, looks I hurt. Totally you heard house this. sharp. I got Washington football team early in this off season. A little yeah. bit. I took some on Washington yeah. plus 400 to win the division. So I, I think that there's certainly upside in them winning the division. Uh, I don't like it at their current number, not whatsoever, but I think that uh, there was definitely value there. And I think that there's a good chance they can emerge. Uh, Daniel Jones. I mean, did you want to talk about Daniel Jones at all? Bill? No, we I mean, do not need to talk about Dana. Can we talk about, House House told me last week, and he was completely 100% serious, that he thought Antonio Gibson was better than the Danian Tomlinson in his prime. It was an actual <laughs> thing he said. That's not true. And that, uh, he, don't discredit <laughs> me any further. It was Drunk House. It wasn't Sober House. It was Drunk House. All on my own. I will just say this. You do love Antonio aside, Gibson, though. I do love him. I also... Um, this is the, the the kind of psychological gymnastics you have to perform as a Washington fan. Dwayne Haskins ultimately is the price we had to pay to get Dan Snyder the fuck away from the football team. He is the Dan Snyder. We paid a premium. Like uh, after 20 fucking years of this jerk off meddling and putting in yes men and all that, it finally took a, a, a guy who was absolutely unfit for the NFL to be put into a starting uh, position and then go to the strip club after abysmal failure after abysmal failure to get Dan Snyder the fuck away from the because Ron Rivera saved the team he saved the franchise and that's the only way that we have a chance to get to to, to nine wins 
So I'm okay with Haskins because that's the price that we had to pay to get to this point right now. The Snyder tax. The Snyder tax. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's fair. I don't, the only Sharp, I don't know if he, you knew this. House, yeah. House doesn't really like Daniel Snyder that much. I, I, I would va- wager to say that that is a strong favorite among most people who are fans of the Washington football He's, team in this area. Hasn't done a great job, maybe, as the, as the owner. Not, not an ideal. Not an ideal thing. All right. We're going to end it with the shenanigasm. Let me, Let's let go. Me just, so let, let me set the table. Okay. So San Francisco <laughs> last year, six and 10. This year, their over-under is 10 and a half. That's a pretty dramatic for, I can't remember the over-under for a team being that much higher than their record Second largest year. in the NFL this year, only to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who only right. won one it's game usually, last yeah, year. Yeah, it's usually so. a shitty team. Division there, plus 190. Conference, plus 650. Super Bowl, 14-1. Not to make the playoffs, minus 205. Uh, I'm sorry, to make the playoffs, minus 205. Not to make the playoffs, plus 165. They also play the AFC South. Sharp, go. Look, Kyle Shanahan, you could say what you want about him. When he's had bad quarterbacks, he's done poorly. And 69% of his career games as a, been a, as a play caller have been with these quarterbacks. C.J. Beathard, Nick Mullins, Brian Hoyer, Johnny Manziel, Connor Shaw, RG3, Rex Grossman, Old Donovan McNabb, very young, inexperienced Kirk Cousins, John Beck, Matt Schaub, and Sage Rosenfels. Absolutely ridiculous. 31% of his games have come with Matt Ryan or Jimmy G, and he took both of those teams to winning records into the postseason and into the Super Bowl with leads late in those games. With Jimmy G, Kyle is 24-9 and nine in San Francisco. They average 28 points per game. Without Jimmy G, they're only 7-27, and 27, averaging only 20 points per game. He now has what I think is quite important. And we, Joe mentioned this earlier, redundancy at the quarterback position. I do not think that you need Trey Lance in there early this season. I think this is the Jimmy Garoppolo show we saw in his game plan today. It's mixing in a little bit of Trey Lance for some run plays. By the way, Trey, Lan- Trey Lance, not ready yet. If you've not actually watched yet. him throw the football this year, not, he's not, not ready, ready to yet. be a four quarter quarterback yet. He does not have enough reps. No, but he will be needed when you need a high upside that it takes to win in the postseason. What you need right now to start the year is a high floor. You need to rack and stack these wins. And I think Jimmy G gives you the best chance to do that. Kyle Shanahan's scheme has had a quarterback rank top three in expected completion percentage the last three years, despite all these multiple quarterbacks that he's gotten in there. And I think when Trey Lance is time, it's his turn. Kyle's going to make his life easy. There's going to be easy throws and schemes that he's going to be able to dial up to get high completion rate for Trey Lance. But again, I agree with you. His time is not now. Two do you other think, things. Do you think Kyle Shanahan could cure COVID or no? No. No. Like I if, w- he, I wish if he really could. tried for like a week, do you think he could figure it out? I feel like he's, he's going to no. stay in his lane. He knows how to stay in his lane. That's true. I'm, That's why he's so good. Yes. And and so two main things that I like about uh, this team, besides what I've just mentioned. Number one, Kyle Shanahan's quarterbacks have gone up against almost top 10 
defenses against the pass every single year he's been there. The number one most difficult in 2017, the number five most difficult last year, and about top 10 most difficult the other two years. This year, I'm projecting him to play the number 26 most difficult. If they do end up playing that, it's the first time he's playing a bottom 10 schedule of pass defenses. I think the passing attack here is going to look a lot better. And then we know this to be true. This has been the most injured team in the NFL. Last season, the number one most injured. 2019, sixth most. 2018, fourth most. Will luck eventually go their way and they not be as injured? Or do they just have players that are extremely injury prone? I guess we'll find out this season, but I'm betting on the fact that they are going to be healthier this season. They're going to play defenses that are easier to move the ball against through the air. They've got the quarterback redundancy that I like. And so when Jimmy G, if he unfortunately does go down, boom, now you've got a quarterback that I think Kyle has trust and faith in that he's handpicked. And we're going to see records and results in those games from a win-loss perspective that are akin to what Jimmy G was producing. I think this team, everybody wants to talk in the NFC West about the LA Rams and Matthew Stafford and the upside that those guys have. I think the 49ers, although I didn't bet this, have a great shot to win this division. I absolutely think they have a chance to go to the playoffs. I think that they are going to exceed their win total. This is a team that I think should be feared in terms of going through the playoffs, winning some games and, you know, potentially going up against the Packers or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So at Lions, at Eagles, first two games house. That's a little tasty. 2-0. Let's give them 2-0. Week three, home for the Packers on a Sunday night. That That's, I mean, that there it, it will mean more to the Niners than it will to the Packers. I like I remember Aaron Rodgers. Remember Aaron Rodgers out in uh, California a couple of years ago and all those ridiculous games. Now, I think he cured that like last year, but yeah. I, I don't think there's much to it. But that's going to be an interesting storyline that Sunday night. Home Seahawks week four at Arizona week five. I'm going to say four and one for them coming out of those first five. By week, home for the Colts at Chicago, home Arizona. Conceivable that could be that could be uh seven and one. Week 10, Rams Monday night, but that's home. At Jaguars, home Vikings. Then the stretch down the uh they got at Seahawks on a Sunday night, at Bengals, home Falcons, at Titans on a Thursday, home Texans, at Rams week 18. I actually think. Sharpie in house. There's a best record in the end. There's a one seed. Is there? Don't they have one seed bets? Yeah, they do. Right. I'm pretty sure FanDuel yep. has that actually. But I think they're. I think they're an intriguing one seed bet. And I want to say that that was like maybe ten to one. I'm going to look it up right now. But what do you, Sharp? If we're getting super super crazy here, what is the one seed potential for them? Just as a as a throwaway. Fuck it. We're rolling the dice. Oh, here it is. So best season record, they're 12, 12, 12 to one odds. Um, to be the one seed, they're plus 550. Third best odds in the uh, NFC, according to FanDuel. What do you think of that, Sharpie? I kind of like it. I hate the fact that the game that could decide it would be this Thursday night game in Tennessee that you have to go on the road for on a short week. That's absolutely brutal just from a travel perspective. But most of their difficult games, if you look at the most difficult 
games that they play non-division, which obviously you have to play the Rams in LA at one point, and that happens to be week 18. The most difficult opponents based on preseason, projected preseason record are the Packers, the Seahawks, obviously they're in your division, so you split with them, the Colts and the Vikings. And every single one of those games is at home with the exception of, right, you have to mm. play the Rams in LA and you have to play the Seahawks in Seattle at some point. So a very front, uh, a very loaded schedule favorable to their home field. Not that they have a great home field advantage, but um, I think it's the problem with that bet. Like I, as throwaway money, I, I definitely won't argue with you. That's, on that. that's what house is all about. Yeah. But, but my <laughs> issue is house is a throwaway NFC, money guy. The NFC, th- those aren't big enough odds for me in, in a, a year like this with COVID and with injury potential over such a long season, yeah. coupled with the fact that the NFC is fucking loaded. There yep. are so many really top upper echelon teams in that conference that thinking that they are going to just make this run and, you know, that those just aren't juicy enough odds for me personally. The best odds for the one seed, I think, is Buffalo plus 470. Because KC is two to one and Buffalo is plus four seventy. I think Buffalo is a better bet to be a one seed than KC is. I just think that if it, at gunpoint, if I had to pick between those two teams' house, I would pick Buffalo. Any one seed the, bets you like, House? The trouble I have with Buffalo is like the tiny bit of cognitive dissonance, which is New England greatly improved, mm. and you know they have an in conference. Miami, I think, is is improved. We haven't talked about Miami, but I I, I know Sharpie yeah. loves Tua. Sharpie oh, loves come on, Tua. Sharp. He thinks there's a real bounce back potential. No, Look, everybody, everybody I don't know what they're going to do with Deshaun Watson, but let me just tell you this. Everybody hated Lamar Jackson after his 2018 season. They saw a guy who didn't get first team reps in training camp because Joe Flacco took them all, didn't get inserted until midway through the season, looked terrible late, lost the playoff game and didn't look that great. I jumped on the Lamar bandwagon there. I do see parallels with what his first year in the NFL was like and what Tua's first year in the NFL was like. Tua came off rehabilitating from this catastrophic hip injury, did not get a normal offseason. You have the COVID offseason coupled with that. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick as their quarterback, who's working in an offense that was designed by Chan Gailey, who was handpicked to come out of retirement for multiple years. This dude's a grandfather to dial up an offense that is going to work for Ryan Fitzpatrick because they work together with the Jets. After the season, Gailey admitted they changed nothing to work for Tua. Tua, when he got inserted into that system, was in an offense that was crafted for everything that he wasn't good at doing, and they never changed any of it. I just think with an offense this season, who knows what there's going to happen with Deshaun Watson, but if Tua is there with an offense that's catered to him, and the other thing with the Dolphins real quick is they were the worst team in the NFL at wide receiver separation last year. They had nobody who could gain separation. This year, they go out, they draft Waddle, they go ahead and acquire Will Fuller, two guys who are great at getting separation, is definitely going to help Tua at quarterback quarterback there. I think we're going to see a much different quarterback this year than what everybody thinks of him from last year. When you say Will Fuller is good at separation, you mean like his shoulder separating or his he ligaments separating? And his, what are you talking about? He plays six games a year. He needs to stay healthy. I'm not healthy. scared I of the disagree. Dolphins. I would like to go on the record of saying I'm not scared of the Miami Dolphins. Although I do think Waddle's going to be good. House, you're the tiebreaker. I'm, I'm, go, I'm shorting the Dolphins. Sharpie seems optimistic. 
slightly I'm optimistic. Up, I know. I, I like them. I'm going to bet on Brian Flores to win coach of the year. I like, I love the case that Sharpie made. Like if you're, I like the odds for Sean Payton better than I like the odds messing with uh, New Orleans over under. I'm just going to bet Sean Payton to win coach of the year, a tiny amount to protect against that. But I really like Brian Flores to win coach of the year. I, if I had to bet on a prop, it would be House and I being mad that we bet on Denver's over and House calling Vic Fangio, Fanny Pack Fangio. And well, that's a couple of no I feel like what. that's going to happen. I, I feel lock. like we're going to regret the Broncos bet, but I stand that's by a it. lock. All right, Sharp. So we're going to be three times a week during the season. People should also follow uh, just Sharp Football. Do all your plugs. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Sharp Football and sharpfootballanalysis.com. That's where I give out all my betting recommendations each week and actually gave you a couple that we already took. You know, we already took the 49ers over. We already took the Broncos over. I took the Saints under. Uh, there's a number of futures that I that I really do love. Actually, if you want to, you can search out and find there are sports books out there that are dealing lines week two. You can get Denver minus two and a half against the Jaguars week two. It's in Jacksonville, obviously, but I think that line is bound to go up. Um, I just think that there's a lot of upside with uh, with some props this year that aren't necessarily win totals, because I do think the books did a pretty good job with the pure win totals. But some of the stuff we were discussing was is there's some value there. I think the books are getting better and it's really bothers me. They, there yeah. was such a, such a nice run in the two thousands when we could stick in. Well, this was really fun. I look forward to, uh, continuing to listen to you on the ringer and to listen to you guys together. House, do you think, can you get your shit together and actually win some bets this year or no? Um, I have about a dozen, uh, win total, uh, bets out there right now. My favorite so far is that I bet the Patriots under back in May. And then I bet they're over, um, like two <laughs> weeks both ago. Sides. So you I'm can't a, lose. You're going to win I, one of those. That's it. I think I, I think the juice was going to play out that I'm going to win 20 <laughs> bucks if they go over. I think that's the way. Great job. <laughs> that's so I'm, I'm right in, in mid season form. I have a five way parlay for week one, all money line that I'm ready to drop on Sharpie in week one for us. And, and, you know, he talked us out of trying to, to, to come up with like bad teams that can serve as anchors for our parlays. Yeah. And uh, last year I asked him, why can't I just bet against the Jacksonville money line every week? And then in the very first week we bet against the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Indianapolis Colts and they beat the Colts and, and fucked me for several hundred dollars <laughs> right out of the box. So that was why. Right? And, and we got some good lessons out of Sharpie. We're going to yeah. have all of our sharp angles. we got the whole thing coming up again. 2021 season. We're back, baby. I am jacked for that pod with you, House. I think the lineup Bill's put together for the rest of this uh, week schedule is going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to this year. Before we go, and we're going to go, Kyle, come on for a split second. Nephew Kyle, um, one of the biggest Pats fans I know. Did your Mac Jones boner... Did more was more blood able to go into it after this podcast, or was or were you already at full mast? It was full mast, and I'm worried I may have missed an edit with House because I was watching some Mac Jones. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Roll oh, the dice, baby. Oh man, I hope House didn't get canceled. All right, Sharp, pleasure to see you. House, pleasure to she see you. Thanks for all the time. This was uh, produced by nephew Kyle, aka Kyle Creighton, and we will see you on Tuesday.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 